Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So here's the question of the morning. Do you consider yourself a truthful person? Do you consider yourself truthful? Meaning this, are you someone who tries with the best of their abilities to give an honest answer or a truthful account, let's just say most of the time? Like you really strive to not lie. Or are you that person who really strives to actually tell the truth? Like it's something in your DNA, you just kind of struggle with truth telling and you have this hard time to actually get the words out that are truthful because maybe you're protecting yourself or maybe you just don't want anyone to really know the real you. Regardless, depending on uh, whatever side you're on, uh, you are a liar. You lie. It doesn't matter what you think. You lie. And we lie a lot. And this is why. When we're very, very young, we learn something at a very, very young age. We learned it is better to lie, or let's just, let's use not such a harsh term. It's better to twist the truth or withhold the truth or just fib a little bit. We've learned this at a young age because sometimes when we tell the truth, it hurts people's feelings. So here, let me give you an example. You are sitting at the kitchen table and your parents have dropped you off for the day at your grandmother's house. And so you're there with grandma, and you're having a great time with grandma, and you're sitting at the kitchen table, and you're, let's say, five, six years old, and you're coloring away, having a great time, and grandma is in the kitchen doing what grandma's always great at, making delicious foods, right? So she's making you all this food because, you know, food is love for us, right? And so she's making this food, and you're sitting at the table, you're drawing, and she makes this delicious pie, and she comes up to you, and she, she cuts out the pie for you. It's steaming hot, and it's a la mode, because that's all, all pie should be a la mode. And she puts the pie in front of you, and you take a bite of it, and it is the worst thing you've ever tasted in your life. I mean, it is like absolutely like chewing on garbage. It is so bad. And your grandmother is looking at you square in the eyes with her big doe eyes, just full of love and the smile that cracks her face in half. And she says, honey, do you like it? At the age of five or six, you make a decision. You say, grandma, this tastes like garbage. Or you say, grandma, this is, this is great. Thank you so much. Or probably you say, it's okay, which is still a lie. You've learned at a very young age, and we start to learn that we can't always tell the honest truth because, because somebody is going to be hurt. Someone is going to, maybe with your truth, be damaged. And, and if you've ever heard the statement, hey, do I look fat in this? <laughs> That's a story for a different day. <laughs> You don't answer, you avoid if you want to know what to do with that one. But we are learning and we have learned and are constantly learning to actually divert truth to either save ourselves or to protect others. How much do we lie? Uh, actually, at University of Wisconsin lacrosse professor Tony Duncan Morgan had a publication that went out. And the publication was Unpacking Variation in Lie Prevalence 
prolific liars, bad lie days, or both. And he gives us some insight. They found, and this includes all of you, that the average human lies one to two times a day. One to two times a day. So let's say you've got a really good day in which you don't lie. Now remember, we're not talking about big monster ones. We're just kind of playing with the truth a little bit or we're avoiding things. We don't, we're not honest and truthful. One to two times a day, you are telling a lie. 86, 88.6% of those lies are what we consider little white lies, like not that big of a deal. Little white lies, you know, like I, I, I really didn't like that, or like, oh, that's fine, it's great. Or maybe like someone's, hey, did you watch the game last night? Oh yeah, I totally watched the Bucks game. And you didn't because you want to feel stupid at the water cooler that day. Or maybe this, this happens in the Christian world a lot among pastors. Uh, so I've been reading, I read 85 books this month. What books have you read, Pastor? And, and I'm like, oh yeah, I totally read, done. Uh, you know, like, so uh, we, we just try to make ourselves feel better or we try to protect people's 88.6% of the time, little white lies. So if we're lying so much, what in the world, why are we lying? In 21%, we're lying to avoid others. 20%, we do it as a humor or a joke. 14% is to protect oneself or self-esteem. 13% to impress or appear more favorable. 11% to protect another person. 9% for personal gain or profit. 5% for the benefit of another person. Oh, it's a nice lie. That's the, uh, you know, do I look fat in this uh, question? 2% to hurt another person intentionally. But 5% was unspecified for no reason. People just lie. So in this, if you listen to that list, the majority of the reasons why people lie, it's all about themselves. So who are we lying to? You're going to love this. Who are we lying to? 51% of lies go to our friends. 51. You're talking a little bit over half of all of our lies are going to people that we call friends. 21% goes to family. 11% to school, your job, colleagues. 8.9% to strangers. That's a weird one. Like you're, you know, you're sitting at the shopping mall or whatever at the market, and you're like, oh, have you ever had those Tostitos? Yeah, those Tostitos are great. We lie about stuff like that. So dumb. We just lie. 8.5 casual acquaintances. So not to incriminate anyone specific, but I want you to think about this for a second. You who have friends are being lied to almost daily. Think about this. When you have a conversation with a friend, there is a 50% chance that they're lying to somebody that you are being lied to almost daily. Now remember, 88.6% of our lies are what we consider not a big deal. So if 88.6%, it's just like, hey, did you enjoy that? Oh, that was so awesome. We had so much fun. We elaborate. That's a lie. We don't tell the full truth. That's a lie. We directly say we did something when we didn't do it. That's a lie. Lying is embedded deep into the human culture and deep in American culture. It's deep in American culture because we want to look better than what we really are. The biggest lie that is out right now is called Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. You go on, you don't even have to say a word. Look at my awesome life, click. Look at my awesome kids, click. Look at, I'm here, click, and I do it too. We all do this, click, 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 click. Hey, look at how terrible we're fighting right now as a family, click. Oh, my job is terrible, here's my boss, click. We don't put those things on there. 
We make ourselves look grandiose and wonderful and awesome for this purpose of saying, look at my life. Isn't it amazing? Which is causing some of the highest epidemic of depression of all time in our culture. Lying is not good. We are lying. We are being lied to. And all this lying makes us skeptical. You jump onto the internet, you type something, you could be lied to. You could type in anything and you'll see one view of something, one truth about this, and something over here. You get onto, turn on your TV and you turn on a news media and they say one thing and you flip one channel, they're saying the other thing. We don't even know what's truth or lies anymore because it's just surrounding us in this full new world of information. And so we are becoming even more skeptical than ever. So if I'm being lied to by the internet, lied to by my friends, lied to by my coworkers, lied to by the media, how do I trust anybody anymore? How do I trust you? Like, I don't, I mean, you, some of you know me, some of you, I know some of you. Like, how do we actually have a real relationship which I trust that you're telling the truth with a 50% chance that you're lying to me? Hey, did you read your Bible this week? Oh yeah, pastor every day. You know, like stuff like that. Like, how do I know? How can we be sure? And the problem is that we can't be because we're becoming so skeptical. And this skepticism is building in us a hard, nasty shell. This hard shell is now moving into a belief system of prove it. I need to have so much concrete evidence all the way through that there's no way I'm ever going to believe you, and that is becoming even more apparent in the world of our God. We, now think about this for a second, we, you and I, at times, have this hard shell, and we look at God in the same light and say, God, I don't believe you, if we're honest about stuff. You said this and it didn't come true. You said if I prayed for things, they would happen. This isn't coming true. I'm not getting what I want. You said you loved me and I don't feel it. I think this whole God thing, you aren't telling the truth to me. You're just like everybody else. And so we take God and how we feel about him because of what people have done to us and we mush those two together and it becomes this big, ugly mess in which we're just frustrated, scared, and alone. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. That's my story. Uh, there's times that I sit here and I'm like, there's just no way, God. You say you love me, but there's this. You said to promise, then there's this. And I, and I look at this from my perspective and what I feel about people. And I have a hard candy shell and I'm not an M&M. I have a hard candy shell and I can feel that at times. And I can feel when I take that to God because I start to say things like, I don't really know if you're going to come through for me. You said you'll be there for me. You said you'll provide for me, but you haven't. And so this, if, if I'm telling your story as well and you have doubt about things and you're frustrated and sometimes you just doubt God, I'm sitting here to share with you you're not the only one on the journey. There's a lot that's happened to us. For those who've lived longer and have more years on this earth, friends, you've endured more than those who have less years. And I understand how it can be harder. Those who are young, and have been lied to, have been hurt so deeply, said like, look, I've just kind of started this journey and I've already had my life ripped apart. I understand. But today we're going to explore into scripture something that has to look at as a truth because this truth is going to be the foundation of the faith that you have. But if you can't believe in this truth, you're always going to be stuck in this place of thinking God is lying to you. 
So today we're going to explore the life of Abram. If you're just joining us or uh, maybe just jumping back in, we've been in the study of Genesis. Uh, it has been amazing. It's been riveting. We started Genesis 1. We're working our way through. We're not going through every chapter, but we're giving the main uh, pictures and themes throughout the book of Genesis. Uh, we've gone through the beginning of time uh, when God starts everything. We went through the fall where sin enters in. We went through the flood where God grieved that he had made humans because there's so much sin in the world. And now we're moving into the story of Abram, who will later be called Abraham. That name sounds familiar to you. Uh, let me catch you up on the story before we get to him today. Abram is someone specific that God sees. This is after the flood. He sees Abram and he says something unique to him. He says, I've got a, a story for you, you here, Abram. Um, I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to leave and I'm going to take you to a place in which you are going to have your own land and your descendants, and I'm going to give you your own country. I'm starting something all through you. So you are going to be unique and special, and I've got a story for you. That's in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It'll be on the screen behind me. It says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God makes a promise. Imagine this. Imagine you get the call from God. Let's say that he texts you now, right? So God, you, got, you and God text. So he comes to you and talks to you and says, hey, I got something for you. I'm going to take you out of Washington County and I've got a story for you. I'm going to send you to a different place, and then all of you are going to be a descendant of a new group of people which are going to be special to me. And this group of people, something special is going to happen, which he didn't know at the time, but the blessing he was going to be receiving is that Jesus Christ was going to come and be one of his descendants. So he says this to you, I want you to move, and you, I want you to go, and you're going to start a whole new thing, and it's going to be awesome, and you just have to trust me. Now, if you ask me today if God sent me to Orlando, Florida, I'm gone. I'm gone. Mosaic Orlando opens. That sounds great. God, I'll take you wherever you want me to go, right? But the truth is this. That would be terrifying, especially for this culture. In this culture, your family and your lineage is everything. And so he tells him to pick up from your family and to go over here, and he does it. He obeys God. So he goes on this pilgrimage but on this pilgrimage, there's something that happens. There's this harsh famine that is coming uh, into this world of Canaan. So Canaan was the land that God was giving to him and his descendants. So on his journey, Canaan's in a drought right now. And so he takes them and they start going through Egypt. And something very unique happens in Egypt. He comes into Egypt. He has his wife, Sarai, with him. And Sarai will be later called Sarah. So he's with Sarai, and he comes into the land, and he's got all this stuff, and they're traveling, right, in this big caravan, and he says something very unique. The Bible is full of just crazy stuff. If you've ever read I love this, right? He says to his wife, hey, you are too hot. This is great marital, marital counseling. You are too hot. You are too gorgeous. So what I need you to do is you need to lie and say that you're my sister because they're going to kill me to take you. Why is Abram lying? Let's dig into this. Genesis chapter, you're like, are you making this up? Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 to 13. This is what the word says. And as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. 
When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Ah, boy, they need, they need some help. I mean, just think about this concept. God tells him to go. He says, okay. He has his beautiful, he's got a beautiful wife. He's getting his own land, and all he's worried about is his own skin. So what does he do? He lies, 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 lies. What a weird thing to lie about. And this whole thing backfires for Abram, because as he goes into this, he says, oh, no, she's my sister. The Pharaoh goes, awesome, she is gorgeous. She's now one of my wives. So he takes Sarai as one of his wives, and then this is what's even more crazy. Abram gets paid. Like, here, we'll give him all this sorts of stuff. Give him animals. Give him lots of jewels. We love, thank you so much. We love your sister. And so now he just sold off his wife. Now, we do a lot of marital counseling here. And let me just suggest something to you. I wouldn't suggest selling off your spouse for any reason. No matter what the reason is, this is just not a good idea to build a relationship. And so he sells off his wife. Like, what's that dude thinking at night? You know, he's like, man, I love this donkey, but I wonder how Sarah is doing. I hope she's okay, right? Because now she's part of this harem of multiple wives of this Pharaoh. But something unique happens is that God brings disease into the Pharaoh, into Pharaoh and his family. So his disease starts plaguing them. And that was common with the the quote-unquote gods of their time that believed that gods would do things to them. And so he's asking what's going on, and he finds out that Sarai is really Abram's husband. So he calls in Abram. He's like, what? What are you doing? Why didn't you tell me your sister? I would have never taken her because he's now living in an adulterous affair, which the dude sold his wife off for. He's like, why would you do this to me? All this sickness is on me. Take your stuff and get out of here. What a strange aside to the story of Abram. Because here's a man which God says, I see you, you are, I see you as righteousness. Trust me, I'm going to send and you're going to be great descendants and you're going to have an amazing uh, history and genealogy. And here the dude is lying and selling his wife off into basically prostitution. Why would we even pause at this? Because if we go back into Genesis, we have to see that sin is continuing. And the story, what's so fascinating, and people say, how can you really trust the Bible? The Bible is the only book in which the heroes, are look, they look like they're complete failures all the time. Here is the father to be of all of Israel, the one in which all the descents were supposed to come through, and he is an absolute train wreck. Again, all of our heroes in the scriptures are train wrecks except Jesus Christ. He's the only one who doesn't have this big, huge mess. And so here, Abram is in this huge mess. He gets kicked out. He goes on his ways. And by Genesis 15, we start to see that Abram is being obedient. But he is really having a tough time because he is remembering this promise and he doesn't have any kids. So how am I supposed to have a land? How am I supposed to have descendants? Hey, God, I don't believe you. I don't think this is going to happen. Like, maybe you made a mistake in this, God, or maybe I misheard you, but this is not going to happen. And that's where we're going to pick up our main passage of the day, Genesis 15, verses 1 to 21. I'm not going to put that on the screen behind me because it's another huge passage. But Genesis 15, 1 to 21 is a powerful, powerful message for us today about God and his promises. 
because we see a promise of God, we see the failure of Abram, we now move back into Abram's story with God, and Abram doesn't believe God, and he doubts God. Genesis 15, 1 to 21 says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur by the Chaladins and gave you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, interesting things happening here, cuts them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, and the land of the Kenites, the Kenzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Aren't you glad you didn't have to read that last sentence? So we take, break down what's happening here because a whole, whole lot of stuff is happening that, that makes no sense to our culture at all. We see that we have an interaction with God and Abram. And Abram is at this place of like, look, man, you said you're going to give me this land. I don't understand this is going to happen. I have no kids. I have no descendants. The only way I'm going to have any, any possession or uh, descendants is that I've got to give it to somebody else because I have no actual descendants. Now remember, culturally, this was a huge, huge thing to be able to pass on the name and the family name on for generations to come. And so I've got absolutely nothing. And I've gone through a lot. And you promised there's a land for me. And so I am obeying. I went on this journey. And I have a problem here. I don't think you're coming through with your side of stuff. I mean, true, I sold my wife off to a pharaoh. I guess there's a lie, and I lied about it and a bunch of stuff. But God, you're not keeping up your end of the bargain. You said that, but God did not break his promise. And the truth is, is that God's not only going to keep his promise, he's going to give him a promise even greater. Because what he sees in his perspective, and we can relate today as humans, 
He sees the immediate response to something and not the larger response because we are here, but God is eternal. So what looks like failure to us is actually not understanding the larger story of what is happening in Abram's life. But this is what's so fascinating. Even though Abram has questions, and even though Abram's like, I just don't know how this is going to happen, and because you did this, now i got to give this away to somebody else, God still meets him exactly where, he asks, where he's at. And this is something that, if you're writing things down or processing, this is our statement of the day. Belief can exist alongside doubt. Belief can exist alongside doubt. That seems kind of counterintuitive in a lot of ways because we're going to say, look, if, if I believe something, there's no way I can have questions or doubt something. But understand, friends, that's not what God ever says. Doubt can still be there and live and exist around it as you're processing everything. And doubt is a beautiful place that we bring to God and say, God, I just don't get this. I don't think this is going to happen. And our belief can still be there at the same time. Now, I don't know about your spiritual journey, but on my spiritual journey, I've gone through all sorts of iterations and waves. And just because you go to a seminary or just because your ministry, it does not mean I don't have doubts. It doesn't mean there's times when I sit there and I ask the question, what if this isn't all real? So if you have doubts, welcome to the club. Or I start to ask the question, what really is going to happen when I die? And I start to ask the question, what if God really doesn't forgive me for everything I've done? What if I ask the question, how do I know that when I die, I'm not sent to hell like everybody else because I missed some little nuance in something, and now I'm missing the story of God. We all exist in a place in which our belief can stand by doubt. It's okay to admit that. It's really okay to admit that here because we are a place, and you'll hear me use the words explore and journey for a reason. We are exploring and journeying something through our cultural context and through the lives you've lived. So if you've been one of those people who are lied to, let's say by a spouse that said they loved you. Let's say you had a father who said he loved you then abused you. Let's say you had great friends who betrayed you and left you. And I say to you, hey, God is your great father. God is your great friend. God is the bridegroom and you are the bride. You're like, yeah, I have all those stories and I hate them. So you're going to tell me he's going to hurt me just like everybody else. I understand. But what I want to challenge you on is that just don't live in doubt, but explore to find if God really is different. And in the story of Abram, we have this beautiful narrative here, which is going to really encourage us today. And we're going to find that when God says something, it's always legit regardless of you. So when God says something, it's not dependent on us, it's dependent on him, which is a great thing to embrace today. Because if God's truth is dependent on our ability to keep everything together, we are all toast, including Abram. But what God does and what he's sharing with us today is that because of who God is, his promises are always true. And we don't have to be afraid. So what we have to do 
in our faith walk is change our perspective. We have to change our perspective because when our doubt is sitting out here alongside our belief, our doubt is coming from stories outside either of the story of God or we don't really know God. And when I, in my journey, when I look and say I doubt God in things, it's because of those two things always. Either it's because of my own hurts or my own story or my own disappointment, or it's because I don't know something about him and I need to understand who he is better. But there's something very fascinating that goes on here. When he does this, God doesn't shame Abram. He doesn't say, Abram, you terrible, terrible servant who sold his wife to a fairy. He doesn't say that. He says, come with me. And so we go back to this verse again, verse 5 to 6. Look at this again. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. It's not that Abram was righteous. He gave him the credits for it. He didn't earn it. He's like, here you go. Here's your credits. You, because you believe. So he looks up at the stars. Now, I love up north Wisconsin in the summer, not the winter. I hate everything winter Wisconsin, but in the summer. And when I go outside and I sit out on the lake and all the city lights are gone and I look up into the stars and you see stars and things that you couldn't even imagine. You've been there before. You know what I'm saying. The moon is up and it's, just, it's lighting the water. And I look up at this and I start to count the stars. It's not going to happen. And on top of that, there's a mesmerizing effect that happens to me that makes me feel very small on a little blue planet in the middle of a whole lot of other things. And when I sit there in this immense space and I say, God, all of my problems seem pretty small to the fact that there's quadrillions of stars out there that I can't even hope to count. And there's so many things happening. Like, who am I to even Think about like anything of my world when, God, you are so much bigger. And so Abram walks out, and not only is he saying, see all these, that you can count them, that's how many descendants you have. Look at how big the master of the universe, the king of all glory, really is. I made all of this. Do you really think I can't bring you descendants? Because in Abram's mind, everything is over. He is a glass half full type of dude. Or half empty, I mean. I am a glass half empty. What we should be is glasses full. So I'm like, oh no, everything's over. I'm always the pessimist of every story. And so Abram's like, there's no way it's going to happen. I can't have any descendants. And God says, look at what I did before you were even made, bro. Just look at the stars. Start counting. You can't count them? That's right, because I made them. Look at how big and amazing I am. Trust me, Abram. And so he moves into this story in which now it gets weird. So I need to help you understand why this is so weird. There's animals, they're cut in half, there's carcasses getting eaten. It's a weird narrative that starts happening. A lot of pastors like to skip over this because they don't know what's going on. So if you haven't heard this story before, let me share with you because this is complex and not normal in our culture, let alone cutting animals in half. So understand what's happening. I'm going to read the verse to you again, verses 9 through 11. It says this. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. 
Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. We assume because they're too small. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. What in the world is happening? So what's fascinating here is God is instituting a covenant or an agreement or a handshake, if you will. This covenant is a binding, you can't get out of this covenant with another person. And what's going on is God says, bring all of these animals here. Bring all these animals here. He never said cut them in half. Did you, you probably didn't even notice that when I read that. When he says, bring me, it says, verse 9, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. It was Abram that cut those things in half. So he wasn't following what God had said. He just cut them in half, which means we have to really look and assume something, which is found out what happened in this Eastern culture. This was a normal practice. This wasn't some weird out there thing. It is for us. But in their culture, this was a covenant. This was a covenant that was between two people, really well-known ancient way of doing things. Two parties would come in and they were bound by this covenant. And so there was a sacrifice that was made. This wasn't a sacrifice to God. A sacrifice was made for this covenant. And they would take these animals and they would cut them in half. And there would be a huge, a huge, huge consequence for those who didn't obey the covenant or broke the covenant, that the same thing would happen to them. So the penalty for breaking the covenant and why this was happening, this is a reminder. This is how serious this is. If you break this covenant with me, may the same fate happen to you. Imagine if all of our marital covenants went that way. Like right now, we go up and say, I give you this ring because I love you. We do our, our vows and we make our covenant. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the weight is there, the covenant is there, but at the same time, the consequence of breaking the covenant seems to be gone, especially in our culture. So the weight of a covenant broken, or shall we say, a lie. A covenant broken, a lie. If I lie and I say I'm going to do something and don't do it, no big deal. In my culture, like, oh, I'm sorry, and we continue to do and not even really think about it. But the covenant broken in this Eastern culture is that you receive the same fate as these animals if you break our covenant, and you're going to be cut in half just like them with two sides of you. You, gruesome. And what's happening here in this story, and this part is absolutely incredible, is that in this ancient culture and this ritual, they would cut the animals in half, and they would walk between them. They would walk through them, showing that their agreement to this covenant but God puts Abram into a deep sleep in which Abram doesn't walk through. Only God does. Abram doesn't even have to do anything. He just puts him into a deep sleep. And God says this, I'm the one who's going to walk through this. Now, God doesn't come in the form of a person. He comes in the form of this torch and the form of this bucket. And we're like, what in the world is going on? There's multiple interpretations. We could go all day on that. I'm kind of a nerd, so I like this stuff. But there's two main ones that are out there. One, they believe that it is the uh, representation of the affliction that Israel is about to endure, and that torch was the hope of deliverance. There's a, there's a symbolism there to this. The other, which is even more so believed, is that the smoke and the torch foreshadow the presence of God with Moses. Because when he starts talking about how your people are going to be under all this duress, his descendants, it's going to be when the Israelites are captured by Egypt. 
And so the, another thought would be is that this was a representation because God shows himself by day as a cloud and then a pillar of fire at night. And so this presence of God is a foreshadowing. Lots of different viewpoints of it. Regardless, God represents himself in these ways. And so he walks through this, but Abram never walks through. So this is a one-sided covenant. And the one-sided covenant means this. If anything goes wrong in the covenant, that's on me. If anything goes wrong in the covenant, you're off the hook because you never walk through. So God does something that's like, can we trust him? He took everything. He took all the onus. He's saying this, if I don't go through with this, this is all on me. You don't have to worry about it because you can't keep up your side of anything. Bro, you already sold your wife off to Egypt. Super easy. You can't keep up with me. So I, God Almighty, the one who's created the stars in which you've seen, I will put it all on my shoulders. It is all on me. Trust me that I will keep this promise. I'm the Lord God Almighty. I'm not like everybody else. He takes it all. And thematically, what you're going to find as you read the word of God is this is God's constant theme between God and us, is that he is going to take it all because we can't keep up our end of the bargain. He's going to take all the punishment. He's going to take all of the things that need to get done because we can't keep up our end of the bargain. And that's going to trickle down all the way to why we're sitting here today free of sin is because Jesus Christ took all the punishment because you can't keep up your end of the bargain. If you are processing and, and trying to work through a faith that somehow involves, if you're a really good person, God's going to now love you more, honor you more. If I do good things, that gets me into heaven. Um, if I'm super religious and I keep all these religious things, then God now sees me as righteous. The truth of the matter is, if you read the Bible, that's never how God works, and he didn't change the story with Jesus. What he said is that all your good works are like filthy rags before me. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't do enough good to get rid of all the sin and all the lies and all the corruption in you. So I'm going to do something that only I can do. I'm going to have a forgiveness of sin. and It'll be a new covenant with me and you in this. My new covenant, and I'll be the one walking through it, is that I'm going to have my son murdered and take the punishment and the death that you deserve and have to go through that for your sake and all you have to do is agree to the covenant, that I did it all. Do you agree? And what's fascinating is since all of humanity has been here in this story, we fold our arms and say, meh. Or we say, you know, God, I like the deal, but I think I need to be a part of it. Like, can I earn my way there? Or we look at God and we start to say, how can I really trust you? I've been lied to my whole life. How can I trust what you say is true? And the story of Abram is a beautiful yet another story of God's promise that he will take care of everything for us. And when we read the beautiful word of God, we see this theme that when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He has not lied. He will not lie. He will not change his mind. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is steadfast and true. So when he says, my son died for you, when he said, all you have to do is call on his name to be saved. When he said, my son took all the punishments of sin. So now when I look at you, I see righteousness. I count righteousness to you. 
Just like Abram, because you believed. Abram simply looked at stars and believed, and he says to us, look at my son, believe, and that's counted as righteousness to you because Jesus Christ does it all. So here we take a story that's the father, the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus, and God is telling a story, and we're weaving the gospel all the way through Genesis that because of what Jesus is going to do, we are going to be saved. Abram's story is fascinating. And one of the things that fascinates me most, we're going to talk more about him in the weeks to come, one of the things that fascinates me most about this is that he meets his doubt where he's at, loves him through it, and still makes his promise and puts all the weight on God. What an amazing God we serve. And so today, as you are processing what do I believe? I've been lied to so many times. God, I, I just, you just understand my story. I've been through so much. I hear you today, my friends, and I say to you this, the word of God, as it speaks its truth into your hearts today, shows and proves to us once again, when God says he's going to do something, he keeps his promises. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.